1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks, I'm name, joining me as always, back after his his short little break on Fridays, the first one, I'm still getting used to it, but that's okay, we have a lot of people that are ready to step up and help out, um, we've also had some some more submissions for people that want to help out as, as a guest host, um, our, our friend Justin, who's in the middle of not doing some incredible Cato Calen uh, dramatic readings of of Cato Calen tweets, which have been hilarious, uh, asked if he could guest host, and he said that well, you know, if you need someone that has a tape mustache and can yell tweets, like, let me know. More than enough people ready to go and fill in for you, Frank. You were missed. Everyone was sad. I'm happy you're back.
0: I was. I was so glad. Uh, after watching that Nets-Bucks game on Thursday that I did not have to talk about it. Um, <laughs> so it really worked out. It, the, really, the timing was really perfect. And, um, yeah, if you guys are not familiar with Justin, it's Justin Johnson, um, who uh, I've, I've actually met Justin in person uh, at South by Southwest, I guess, a couple years ago. Uh, Justin's, like, a documentary filmmaker, like, makes videos online, does, like, lots of cool stuff. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at, at Superbuck. Um, you've probably seen me retweet a lot of his random stuff, because <laughs> um, he 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 is, I would dare say the the king of uh of of Bucks Twitter uh, meme creation and little videos and things like that. And
1: yeah, He had probably. another
0: one. He had another one uh, for Malcolm about Malcolm Brogdon, which I'll at least leave it at that. Which I retweeted uh, on this April seventh, which was at yesterday, I guess. Um yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, it was uh, uh, I was glad to not have to talk about that Nets game, which was just. You know, like the ultimate, you know, late season Bucks have something to play for and Nets don't. And it doesn't matter because Bucks going to buck. Um, <laughs> but uh, thankfully, obviously, the Bucks are, are not the only team in, in that, you know, low Easter or, or the kind of end of the Eastern playoff bracket that is just sort of stumbling and bumbling. And uh, Benny Hill theme musicing their way to uh, to the finish line here.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, um, the Wizards, Wizards are are wizarding harder. I, I would dare say the Wizards are wizarding harder than the Bucks are bucking. Um, yeah,
1: I would. Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: Especially after uh, you know, at least the Bucks held serve on Saturday with Giannis getting a rest to uh, you know get a little bit of time off uh, from that that ankle injury. Um, sounds like he's likely to play on, on Monday night. I mean, he went through his pregame stuff and there was a video of him saying <laughs> hi to, to Chris Porzingis, who of course, uh, you know, tore his ACL on a Giannis shot challenge the last time the Knicks and bucks played as Charlie so, Hughes um, was
1: doing his live shots. Like, yeah, this was just just the background shooting around. Like you can't tell that guy to take a day off. Cause he, he just can't.
0: Yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, the end result was a, a positive one that you get Giannis a night off and, um, I'm not going to say the Bucks uh, had control of this game because even though they end up winning it by double digits, um, you know, really not until the last you know second and a half of the fourth quarter did they actually take you know you know control and, and actually gain some separation and um, you know Eric Bledsoe probably the the main the main protagonist uh, down the stretch and uh, you know 22 points on nine shots against the Knicks on Saturday uh, he's had really a great couple months turning on more than two months now um, since really he came back from that. He had that ankle injury late January and, you know, he had that really weird kind of couple games where he'd been played and he got benched early and then it, we thought weren't sure why if it was a benching or it was the an ankle and then had one other really bad game. And then basically since then he's uh, he's been pretty damn great. I mean, uh, yep. like the, some of the numbers on Bledsoe are, are kind of crazy. I mean, I think he's since the All-Star break, he's like 62 percent true shooting. Um, you know, his scoring, his assists are all up. You know, he's shooting, I think, forty percent or even maybe higher from from three. Um, you know, again, he's he's kind of kept up his end of the bargain, and I think the the Bucks offensive rating with him on the court is like one fifteen, which is just, you know, yep. crazy, right? I mean, we talk about Bledsoe's fit, and you know, is he an ideal fit? Well, I mean, they're scoring an absolute crap load when he's when he's on the court. And um, you know, I think the the when I was looking at the numbers, you know, it was like I think there are plus 5.8 points per 100 with Bledsoe on the court since February 4th, when kind of he came back from his ankle injury and they're like minus like nine points per 100 when he's on the bench, something on that order. And that speaks, I think to two things. One, Eric Bledsoe has been very good and they've been a very good team when Bledsoe has been on the court. And again, doesn't excuse, you know, certainly Bledsoe has had his share of late game bad decisions, you know, especially maybe in the earlier part of that span. Um, but uh, when the Bucks have not had him on the court, I mean, he was the only Bucks point guard for a while, for a while there yep. because that r- lines up right around when they lost Della Vidova and Brogdon. And so Bledsoe has really upped his game right in the in the period when they basically, you know, lost their other point guards. And, you know, with the exception of a couple of games from Brandon Jennings, who I'll say this, Brandon Jennings saved actually a few good minutes for the start of that fourth quarter. Yep. And if not for him actually making, I think, did he have I think maybe six points and a couple of assists in the early fourth quarter. Um, if not for him doing that, it might've been actually a different result on, on Saturday as well. So, um, I think point guard play was the the story of the fourth quarter, and um, for both better and worse, point guard play has been a really important part of the Bucks' storyline here for a couple of months. Because obviously, the end result has been a, a very frustrating couple months. Um, but you know, I don't think we can really put it on Eric Bledsoe because they've been good with him, and they have really struggled mightily when he's not been on the court. And and obviously, without Giannis playing, um, you know, they needed more from Bledsoe and. Uh, everybody else and and obviously you know chris middleton had a mixed bag night jabari mixed bag night to to maybe be kind um but Bledsoe certainly uh came through big time
1: i, I just think that's kind of been the story of the last month or so for me uh, you you mentioned his offensive rate and i believe since the all-star break uh before i looked it up before the weekend i think it was 114.3 um and i i would assume it maybe even increased a little bit since then i think you might have mentioned 115 so he's uh, to me he's just been great and you kind of go through his game logs and man you're not seeing a bunch of those games where he takes a bunch of threes and doesn't hit them You're, you're not generally you haven't been seeing a bunch of games where he's taking a lot of shots like this last one i mean for him to go 22 points 10 assists and shoot nine times i after the first couple weeks of eric blood i can't i can't even imagine that if you'd have told me that he could have a game like that he, he, even if it is against the g league knicks the westchester <laughs> knicks like even if it is that case like just him having that type of control and i i thought that was the big thing to me was that it felt like he was in control of that game like the the bucks weren't in control of that game but he felt very in control that he was getting people involved early and then late when the bucks were struggling chris middleton i think started the game three for 15 jabari parker three for 11 12 somewhere in there um with those two guys cold he was trying i mean it appeared that he wasn't really going to take shots early he was going to you know try to get them involved and once they didn't he said okay i got it and I mean, there was blow-bys to be had, there were assists to be had, uh, and then he goes two of three from three as well. And I just thought he he's really – and, again, I know a lot of people get, get upset about his fit with Giannis and how it doesn't really work out perfectly, and I'm not here to argue against that. I'm just – I think it's easy to get too focused on that and not – I don't want to say celebrate, but not at least – Mention and recognize just how good Bledsoe's been for the last month.
0: Yeah, and again, I would say you know it's it's two plus months that he's been playing at that high level, and and as you said, I mean it has not been him just taking a lot more shots, which is important. I think, as you said, he's had a number of games where he makes a really high percentage of his shots, and he doesn't actually take very many, which I think is probably like one of the best signs we've seen because you know again in the last three games. He went seven of nine from the field for 22 points and 10 assists in New York. He went six out of 13, 18 points against Brooklyn. Not great. He missed shots down the stretch as basically pretty much everybody on the Bucs did. I think he started six for nine and then went over four, like in the fourth or something like that. And Giannis was one for five. Like everybody, unfortunately, like went cold down the stretch, but he had another like, you know, again, very efficient start. And then against Celtics, he was eight out of nine for 18 points. Um, And, you know, again, against Denver and L.A., those were, I think, his two highest shot totals of the season, uh, 11 out of 22 and 15 out of 24 and scoring 70 points in those two games. But then you go to the two games before that against the Warriors. He's nine out of 11 against the Clippers. He's six out of 10. So, uh, again, his shot, his shot, you know, the number of shots he's taking um, is staying actually in pretty in a pretty good range. And actually his minute totals have been going up over the course of the season um so it's it's i think it's a really good sign that you know again he's he's increasing you know he's reducing his shot numbers he's taking good shots you know um he's not forcing i think that the, those like really early clock mid-range shots we're not seeing as much like in a pick and roll you know he'll he'll take like a wide open mid-range shot or a little floater if he's got it um but he's been solid at those uh and obviously you know when the guy is I think he's like 58, 59% true shooting this year, which is a career best. Um, you know, again, like on a, in aggregate, that's, that's good. And again, this is why the Bucks are overall have been a good offensive team in spite of, you know, seemingly not fitting that well, it's just because you have a bunch of guys who at the end of the day do score pretty effectively. And um, obviously Bledsoe has uh, been, been a big part of that, especially of late. So, um, so yeah, I think Bledsoe again, definitely was a story on, on Friday. And um, again, I think, you know, defensively, he you know he's he's hit or miss he's frustrating because when he locks in you can tell i mean his physicality his switchability for a guy his size is is uncommon yep um and you know he makes plays i think you know among like point guards you know, like i think i mentioned this last week like basketball reference he's has the most blocks in a season of any guy six two or shorter uh he's got like three of the top ten or something like that season and you know, we've seen that like he, he makes plays with his blocks and steals that, you know, again are, are out of his area. And again, some of it is freelancing. Some of it are on those, you know, dig downs or he makes, you know, gambling decisions that you wish you wouldn't. Yep. Um, but he also is capable of making plays that you wouldn't expect. And especially as we think here, you know, moving forward towards the playoffs, he's going to be a key guy, you know, he's going to be an X factor. Um, because if he can play like he has been and, also lock in more defensively especially if you know um depending on who they play in the you know in that first round I mean if they were in the eighth seed I mean that matchup with Kyle Lowry is huge right if you yep. you know if Eric Bledsoe can outplay Kyle Lowry over in a seven game series you have a chance right and certainly Kyle Lowry has been ripe to be outplayed in his in his career he's been a disappointment um but the other teams I mean Bledsoe against Terry Rozier He's got to be better than Terry Rozier in that series, right? If you play the Celtics with Kyrie Irving now out for months um, for the rest of the season until training camp, basically. And And Rozier has
1: been good this year. Don't don't get me wrong, but Eric Bledsoe should be better than him. Like, that should be a plus.
0: Right. And, And then against Philly, it's actually a fascinating situation because Philly doesn't have a traditional point guard that they start. And, you know, again, like, Fultz has been coming off the bench and giving them some minutes, but they're very strange because, you know, Ben Simmons is nominally their point guard, but obviously is not typically going to defend him. So I assume he'll probably defend JJ Reddick a lot, which is different. Um, and again, like if J.J. Reddick is defending him, then he's got to take advantage of that with his athleticism. Although I think Breddick's an underrated defender. Um, you know, certainly Bledsoe has a physical advantage there as he does against most point guards. And then the other Sixers point guards, I mean, Fultz. Is afraid to shoot a three-pointer TJ McConnell is afraid to shoot a three-pointer there, there are kind of some interesting looks that you'd see if you do play the Sixers, which at this point looks likely if you end up at the sixth spot So anyway, yeah, it's it, it's gonna be interesting and, and obviously Bledsoe, um, you know, is a guy who if nothing else You know him playing well and and fitting in I think better than maybe people want to give credit for um, I mean, I think two two things happen here in the grand scheme of this roster one I think, you know, certainly this is not hurting his trade value, right? Seeing him go to a, a team that's a playoff team and, you know, being able to kind of play that secondary role, you know, again, he, he's fit in again. He's not taking tons of shots. He's, I think he's largely deferential to Giannis, although we can argue that, you know, the rest of this team is not differential enough to Giannis at times. Um, but certainly his trade value has not been hurt you know again like the clock is ticking on his contract which again it always works against you from a trade value perspective but it's not like he came and struggled or got hurt which has been another issue for him he's stayed healthy knock on wood this season he's played he's played well you know if yep. if you liked Eric Bledsoe in Phoenix you probably still like him um and uh you know again it's gonna be interesting but I think it also raises the bar for what an you know what an upgrade looks like right and I think it's fair for Bucks fans to say, well, who is the ideal compliment to Giannis? And, you know, Kemba Walker among sort of like potentially gettable guys is is seems like the guy that people talk about the most. Um, but that's not an easy guy to get <laughs> an easy guy to get yeah. either. And uh, again, yeah. I think, you know, I think that's a, it's at least some positive. It's not like the end of the world if you have to go into next season with Eric Bledsoe because again I think if you have a coaching staff that figures out how to make the most of this team defensively Bledsoe can actually be a part of that rather than a guy that you know you're hiding defensively and again I, I don't think Eric Bledsoe is going to stop you from winning 50 games next year uh, especially if he's playing the way he is now
1: yeah it, man yeah it's it's interesting to just kind of think back to the start of when Bledsoe first came and kind of how much the offense struggled and then think of, I believe January was the month where he just really the peak of him not fitting in quote unquote, like that was, that was really where it was. And now to think of where, where he is now, I kept thinking at the start of the fourth quarter uh, in this Knicks game, like, take over Bledsoe. like shoot some more because uh, because Giannis and jabari or excuse me jabari and like, chris aren't aren't doing it like they they don't have it going and you do and you can get where you want against these next point guards so so take care of it like just finish this game and that was kind of what ended up happening obviously uh both middleton and parker hit some shots late uh to close this one out but i mean Bledsoe was the guy and uh, i mean i just think that that speaks to kind of what he can do and what he can bring in the postseason. Again, he won't be playing against the Westchester Knicks, but the fact that he can kind of find some of that control and find ways to be effective when when maybe not handling the ball all the time, when not shooting the ball all the time, like I think it's huge. And um maybe that is something that has gone maybe a little bit overlooked in the last couple of weeks. The and like you said, since the All Star break, 115 114 uh, offensive rating that's among the very best in the league like that uh, it cannot be understated just how good the bucks have been with blood on the floor uh since the all-star break so uh shout out to him for being very good um and i guess i'm going to use this as a chance to segue into the fact that malcolm brogdon will be returning on monday um just be there's more nick stuff that we can talk about but whatever we're talking about point guard so let's do it malcolm brogdon went from ready-to-play to to game-time decision to doubtful um, very quickly on on Saturday, as or maybe it was in a different order. I don't know. His status kept. It was kind of, he,
0: wasn't he probable at one point? Yeah, like, I think that's when people got excited. Yeah, so saw. maybe it
1: was like probable to game time decision to delve something like that. Like it, yeah. it just moved around. He ended up he ends up not playing on Saturday, but obviously he had made the road trip uh, or he had made the trip to New York with them, and he had been on the West Coast road trip, and he's been going on these. He's been traveling with the team now for a couple of weeks and uh I, I know let's see last is that last sunday already with the with the nuggets there was sprints before the game and that kind of got people excited but now it appears that he will be ready to go on monday um talking with matt velasquez uh, a little bit in his story today in the journal sentinel uh Rogan mentioned just kind of the fact that it was it was getting to a point where it was kind of getting annoying like uh you're so close but just not quite ready yet and uh he also said that he thought you know one or two games would be enough like he just needed just needed a game before hopping into the playoffs uh to try to get there which is a convenient thing to say when you only have one or two games to get ready for the playoffs but um what are you what are you thinking from Malcolm Brogdon and uh just how big of a deal can that be
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's tough because um, you know he's been out for a couple months, and to expect him to come out and immediately just kind of pick up back where he left off is is a bit of a tall ask. So that's why, obviously, you know, you you do want to get him him back before before the playoffs start. You know, to just drop him into game one after you know two two plus months on the shelf is is pretty tough. Uh, pretty tough ask and. Again, not that the Bucs backup point guard position has been a particularly high bar of late. Um, but I, I think, it, it, you know, again, like if he's, you know, 80 percent of, of what he normally is, um, then that's probably a, a big upgrade, certainly on, on Brandon Jennings. And um, it, it's kind of interesting, too. I mean, we kind of forget, like, I mean, he was starting a lot of those games before he got hurt. Right. Yeah. I, I can't remember if he started, you know, the, the, the game and the game a couple of games before he got hurt. But. I was not really on board with that approach. I just, you know, again, it's it's kind of a similar thing to to the Jabari Parker question. You know, like how many how many people who can score do you want starting? Um, and you know, again, like do you have do you want to just sort of an off-ball spot-up shooter guy like like Tony Snell? Is that a more valuable guy to have? Um, and again, it's not to say that you don't have to play you know, Malcolm Brogdon more minutes than Tony Snell, which I think everybody agrees should happen. Um, but, you know, and by not starting him, can you stagger the minutes a little bit better? And, you know, you can obviously still have Malcolm finishing game. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think his comeback is is potentially huge for the reasons that we, you know, mentioned with Bledsoe, right? I mean, the Bucks have been terrible without Bledsoe on the court. Um, they've been very good with Bledsoe on the court of late. And so it's sort of like, you know, how do you you know you think of it about that whack a mole problem, how do you how do you solve that, you know that portion of the game when you're either playing Brandon Jennings or you know Jason Terry with Giannis theoretically the point guard or whatever it might be because you know again I, nothing that I've seen like when the when Giannis is in there as the nominal point guard or as the de facto point guard um, I, I just don't think they use him in any type of way to even on like I can't even like really figure out you know if point Giannis like could be good at this point because just the way they use him just doesn't make sense to me like him standing 35 feet from the hoop, looking for guys coming off, you know, pin downs for like catches off curls and stuff. I mean, it's just like, that's
1: a point guard duty. I have no interest in seeing. What, fill. Yeah.
0: What, what, what on earth is the point of him spending his time doing that? Like he's so far from the basket, like yep. is he uniquely suited to throwing that pass. No, <laughs> um, so I, I don't know it's just a it's just kind of a, a, a something that that frustrates me and so the reality is like you know hopefully a new coaching staff figures about a better way to weaponize Giannis as a primary ball handler at times but um, you know this this staff this system it it has not worked they've not been good with him um out there without a traditional point guard and and obviously that speaks to you know Bledsoe actually fitting somewhat well with Giannis and that they actually have worked together in terms of you know just the end result they've they've obviously outscored opponents but um you know you hope that Malcolm can come in there and and when you know either with Giannis uh on the court and and no Bledsoe or um you know maybe in other lineups where whereas in particular Giannis is not out there uh you just hope that he can be one more guy who can who can give you a weapon and probably the big thing for me is I mean I just hope his his shot is right and uh you know if he comes back I mean that can be a challenge right to come back from a a leg injury and be able to shoot as well as you did right away Um, especially
1: with Malcolm Brogdon's shot
0: yeah I mean he doesn't maybe use his legs a whole lot but um but if he can come out and, and be a threat and look for his three-point shot uh, right away, that would be big. Because, again, that's that's obviously the, the huge question mark for the Bucs is, is, you know, do they have guys who can stretch the floor, um, not just around Giannis, but just in general?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because Brogdon does end up having such a flat shot. So despite maybe not jumping, I think the concern with him is always when he's shooting from three, like, could he go six inches further back and it always feels like no yeah. it, it's maxed out like that's as far as it can go can go and if he doesn't have the legs there then uh that can obviously become a problem but i do think with this bucks team it's it's got to be really exciting for them to get him back maybe not because you love malcolm brogdon and he's a transcendent player you just don't have to play brandon jennings anymore like that yeah. is that's an that that alone that in it. Of itself is huge for this Bucks team. Like if you can take him off the floor, and in in reality, you might also be able to take Shabazz Muhammad off the floor. Like you might be, like you might be able to take out two of those guys with Malcolm Brogdon because of his position versatility. uh, That he can, he can play both of those positions. And obviously, right now they've been running out some of those. Oh God, Jennings, Muhammad, Parker, Giannis on lineups and hopefully you wouldn't see any of those um but you know if you can stagger those things right then you don't have to play both of those guys and i think that can just be a huge boost so uh, i think it'll it'll be interesting to see just exactly where he fits in how many minutes he can go and are, are you the i just think back to Jason Kidd saying, well, you know, you got to get those minutes out of the way um, with Delhi. Don't, I don't know that Delhi <laughs> is the same. I don't know that Brogdon is the same guy as Delhi, that you're going to be concerned about his minutes not being overly productive. But how that all works out is, I think, very interesting because maybe if you are coming back from a quad tendon injury, maybe it, it behooves you to play right away. And not get cold and not go to the bench and then have to rewarm up so maybe that necessitates you starting him and then having him go to the bench or maybe it is better that he doesn't have to play another team's starting unit and he can come off the bench and maybe play some of their second unit. like i just think all that that puzzle is is going to be uh, to me really interesting uh to figure out exactly how it all works together and then on top of that bledsoe's been playing so much better so maybe this is more of a a snell replacement than it is taking some minutes from Bledsoe or anyone else and i guess the big thing right now is uh we talked about this while you were gone uh mitch and i mitchell and i were talking a little bit about how that shooting guard spot has kind of it's been a roller coaster this year it's it's had its ups and downs there's been times where sterling brown has been good there's been times where tony snell has been good there's been times where uh i guess even uh, to a smaller extent shabazz muhammad has been good there's been times where jason terry has hit some shots. like all of those things have happened but there just hasn't been uh that same level of consistency uh that you really need out of that spot so so maybe brogdon can bring a little bit of that too so uh, it's i think if you're the bucks you probably wish this happened a week ago that you'd have a little bit more time to acclimate him and get him ready before you enter a playoff series but still the fact that you get Two games, even if it is two games that are, are with rotations that aren't typical, like you get two games to try to get him uh, ready and used to playing again.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's big. And again, it's, it's tight to bring him back now, but um, hopefully we see him, you know, knocking off some of the rust here uh, against the magic and, and Sixers this week and, and being ready to go going to the playoffs because um, certainly gives you a lot more versatility and, um, yeah, I mean I, again, it'll be interesting to see how that what that means for the, for the lineups. Um, you know, how much does Brogdon play with Bledsoe? How much does he play at point versus shooting guard? Um, and how quickly does he ramp up, right? Cuz I, I don't know what his minutes limit might be uh initially, but obviously you'd like to get him into that 25 to 30 minute per game range eventually and and again, it's it's a short ramp to get from there um to the playoffs. But um but yeah, do we by the way, speaking of that, can we talk about some of the lineups we saw in this Knicks game because
1: do you do do you really want to we can I will just ask you if you really want to
0: well I want to at least talk about so I mean the fact that Thon Maker is playing power forward in the fourth quarter of a tight game when he hasn't played that position basically at all this year when he really doesn't you know, offensively, he adds, like, nothing as a power forward because yep. he can't really do anything with the ball. Um, and the fact that you've got him out there because, you know, I guess, like, you're afraid of Luke Cornette, because I think Cornette was playing power forward or something. Um, and you've got Thawne out there, like, you know, at one point taking, like, a tough off-the-dribble late clock shot uh, early in the fourth quarter um, alongside – what was the rest of that lineup? It was Jennings – was it Jennings, Jet, Jabari, uh, Thon, and Zeller, I think? That feels um, right. You know, again, it's just like, I, I just don't understand how you can throw that lineup out there. First off, Jabari's playing the three. He's, he's nominally the only four-man that you have, like, in your rotation that night. Um, and you're playing him at the three so you can get Thon Maker minutes the four. I mean, it's just like one of these things. It's like, I mean... <laughs> I just don't get it like I mean again this is just again like God bless Joe Prenti people seem to like him I'm sure he's a good guy knows a hell of a lot more about basketball than I do but it's just like why you're tempting fate by rolling out that lineup um, and again like it, it worked out fine Jennings randomly made it some shots and got Zeller a couple easy buckets like I mean Tyler Zeller was pretty much like the glue of that, of that lineup. yep but you know again you don't have Giannis in a game that you really need to win to avoid falling into the eighth spot and I, I just don't get why you're you're experimenting with with these kinds of lineups um uh, yeah it was just it was just I just I just don't don't get why you do that I mean it's a similar thing with like these lineups where like Shabazz Giannis and, and Jabari are out there together like you know they haven't. I don't think they've been that bad. And Shabazz actually has, has like a really good plus minus, <laughs> yep. bizarrely, uh, in the really small sample size so far. But it's just like playing Shabazz as a de facto shooting guard. I mean, it's just like have we learned nothing about this guy's career? Like, I mean, he wants to get going towards the hoop. Like, he's not spacing the floor for Giannis and Jabari. I mean if anything, play that guy when those guys are not on the court. Cause you need some, you know, you want kind of a guy who, who can do some of the similar things that like Jabari can do kind of being a, a you know, guy who can, who can be crafty going to the basket. So I, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't, I just don't get it. I mean, I think Joe Prenti just spent too much time with Jason kid, I guess, over the last few years. Cause it's just strange. Um, but again, bucks, dodge that bullet, the effectively the starting group comes back in and seals it. But, um, it was interesting those plus minuses in that game. If you look at that box score, you know all the starters I think had really good plus minuses, but it was pretty much all I think in the last few minutes, five minutes of that game, yeah. right? Parker plus thirteen, Middleton plus seventeen, Bledsoe plus plus fifteen. Um, all of that pretty much felt like it was racked up in the late going when um, you know that group really kind of turned the screws. And um, you know, again, like the Knicks, like nobody on the Knicks scared me at all. Like nobody really like was particularly hot. Like Jarrett Jack randomly had a solid game, which again Bledsoe I don't think d- defended him seriously enough for 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 stretches when he was in the game um, but uh yeah it just felt like nobody on the Knicks was really particularly that concerned with with hurting the Bucks and unfortunately likewise it felt like the Bucks kind of fell into the same trap for much of the game
1: yeah i was going to say the la- the laissez faire approach uh taken by the Bucks this i mean even going back to the Nets game I don't want to say surprise me because we all know the, that the Bucks are, are very susceptible to that thinking, but I just felt like it extended to the coaching staff as well where, like you said, that like, I can't imagine you're experimenting at this point in the year. Like You know what works. You know what doesn't work. You know who you want to have on the floor, and you know who you don't want to have on the floor. And it just felt like in both of those games it was you know just tossing out just tossing out stuff. <laughs> throw, let's, throw, see if,
0: let's see if this works. Like,
1: And at this point, I, I, do you really care if it works? Like none of those guys are going to be in your playoff rotation. All of them will be relegated to the bench because Giannis will be playing 42 minutes a night. Chris will probably be playing 40 as well. Actually, for some reason, Chris will play more. So Chris will play 43 minutes a night. Uh But all those guys, all of those garbage lineups, they're, they're not going to see the floor in the playoffs. Like, Don't experiment, especially with those things. If you want to experiment here in the next game as uh, Malcolm Brogdon comes back and you figure out how you're going to work, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Parker, Henson, Giannis, if you want to figure that out, great. You should try to figure that out. But any experiment that you're trying to figure out that involves Tyler Zeller, Thon Maker, Brandon Jennings, Shabazz Muhammad – It's. It doesn't matter. It will never matter. Like there, there's nothing you could prove in those two games that is going to impress anyone. That is going to help out the team. Like it just didn't. It it didn't make any sense to me. And I mean, when you watched that Brooklyn game, it was just a a total laissez-faire approach. Whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to do anything about this. And I think they took that same approach against the Knicks and the Knicks don't shoot the second most threes in the in the league. And so it, it didn't really hurt you. But against the Nets, they do. And because you took that approach, I think the team kind of took that that on as the way that they played, and you ended up losing the game. So I don't know. It's, it's a strange thing to see this late in the season. Um, thinking about this Knicks game, Parker was bad to start. He got a little bit better at the end, and... Kind of salvaged his night 16 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, a steal, 15 shots in 38 minutes. Middleton was not kind of bad to start, he was bad. Three of 15 uh, to begin the game, which means he closed at five of seven um, and hit a couple shots late. Uh, 22 points, six rebounds, four assists. Those two were bad, and I don't know that you necessarily want to see that. Um, and I don't really know if there's really anything else to talk about with that other than they're bad
0: yeah it's it's interesting because i mean jabari's final line 16 points 10 boards what five assists i mean you know if you 12 just words
1: five assists
0: 12 boards if you just looked at the box score you'd say wow jabari third double double in four games i think yep. um you know i mean he's, he's actually kind of putting stuff together but Certainly if you watch the game it again it felt like even with him getting a start It was obviously a lot better performance than in Chicago when he previously started Uh, And you know, I think what he had six points eight points something like that. Um, but again, just kind of Still just sort of trying to figure out his rhythm Um, he doesn't take a free throw in this game drove to the basket a bunch of times Um got blocked a couple times just kind of, you know, again just sort of this is, I mean, we talked about, I think a week ago, like his his lack of free throws and and that's been that's not a new thing, right? He's always kind of struggled to generate as many free throws attempts as you'd expect of a guy with a, um you know, his sort of like scoring pedigree and B, his stylistic sort of rim attacking. And um you know, it's that's always been kind of concerning. But you know I was just looking at the game log. He hasn't taken more than two free throws in a game since february twenty seventh, which is like insane. Like he's had tons of big minute nights and I think some of it he's, I don't think he gets necessarily a good whistle. Um, but you know, again, some of it's just like, he just isn't wired to kind of draw contact and create contact in a way that that gets you to the line. And obviously like coming off an injury, you can kind of maybe understand that a little bit. Um, but again, I mean, this is just sort of like part of the craft of being a good scorer and, you know, with, couple of these really bad shooting nights, the terrible shooting night he had against the Nets, obviously that horrible shooting night he had against the Clippers. Um you know his true shooting percentage has dropped below average. I think it's like a 54% now. So even though he's shooting I think like 38% still from 3, he's like 47-48% from the field. You know again, like you can have decent percentages, but if you never go to the free throw line and you don't shoot tons of threes, you're not actually going to be very efficient, right? You, you know, if, if you don't, you know, if you don't have that right mix of, you know, threes and, and free throws and you're not going to be very efficient. And Jabari's really dropped off in that sense, even though he's actually had some some big scoring games of late. And, you know, interesting. I mean, this month he's averaging, I think, 19 points and nine boards or something like that. Um, or maybe it's 16 points. I think it's like 19 with that 35 point game. Um, but, you know, it just felt very uneven. And, you know, give him credit. I mean, he had a big three in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, he finished better than he started. He had a kind of a game, like a, one of the, you know, I don't know to call it, the game ceiling dunk. But, you know, after some nice ball movement, had a nice dunk uh, late in the game. But um, overall, obviously, he's, you know, even with Giannis not out there at all, he looked much more like a complimentary scorer than, you know, anything like an alpha. And that's pretty much what he's always looked like, right? I mean, he's he's never really looked like a guy who wants to just take over games. Um, and, and again, that's not necessarily a bad sign. Um, given that he's not going to get the keys to any team at this point, right? He's not going to be, you know, anybody, certainly not one in Milwaukee, right? So he's gotta be, you know, and again, his style is he doesn't dwell on the ball. He's not a ball stopper. He moves the ball quickly. Um, he tries to make decisions quickly and you know, mostly that's a positive I would say. But, um, again, sometimes, you know, like, like, like these games here where he started, it's almost like he doesn't really know how to then like turn turn that sort of opportunistic approach into well, we need I need to go get buckets, so I'm going to go more proactively look for him. And that, that obviously has, has been something where he hasn't necessarily been able to do that on a consistent basis. So, again, not to like kick dirt on, on Jabari or something like that. But, um, you know, ultimately, he, he made some plays that that did help you win the game. Ultimately, he's a plus 13. So, you know, certainly he was in those lineups that that sealed it at the end. But um, by the same token, it's not like, you know, Giannis on the bench, you know, sort of has freed up jabari to you know embrace his potential or whatever like you know he was a lot better here than he was against chicago when he started but um again it's it's kind of been very much a work in progress trying to figure out how he fits into this
1: it's so crazy too because you just think all right Giannis is out jabari it's your time and both both these games it just looked like he's he struggled to have that flow, confidence, whatever you want to say, um, or whatever it is that gives you the ability to do that. It just it just hasn't been there and I don't I don't know. It's it's kind of weird to weird to watch especially because you always kind of thought that the the alpha ball dominant guy was going to be like something you had to maybe like work out of Jabari, right? Like that you thought maybe that would be a problem. And it isn't. He's not a ball stopper. He, he isn't a, a guy that uh, really lingers on the ball. He's able to keep it moving, and it, it just hasn't necessarily uh, kind of made him uh, – he hasn't been able to find his way as, as a scorer, which is something that I don't know if I'd ever say. And you mentioned the free throws. Yeah. Thinking about this season, and again, obviously this includes some games where he's playing lower minutes, et, et cetera, et cetera, but – if you if you look at how many free throws he gets like per 36, Chris Middleton gets 4.4 4 per 36. So even ac- accounting for the fact that Middleton plays way more, 2.4 free throws per per 36 for Jabari Parker. To Chris, like Chris Middleton is the is the most uh, kind of uh, finesse skill based player possible, and then Jabari Parker is this overwhelming athletic physical specimen, and he gets two point four free throws per thirty six minutes. Like it, it, it just kind of, and, and we've talked about the fact that he tends to use his athleticism to go around people and to go through people like explosively but not like through the middle of their chest with with strength and i don't know it's just kind of a weird thing that someone that athletic that physical just can't get to the line and and he has struggled with it and that that just makes scoring easier right like if you can get those baseline free throw that baseline number of free throw attempts you're going to have a a higher floor as a scorer and uh that just hasn't been the way that it's gone for jabari so we'll see if if he can figure some of that out Anything else from this weekend that interests you before we hop into kind of playoff scenarios and uh, tiebreakers and all of those things and kind of look at the final two games for every team in the six through eight and then also do a short preview of the Orlando Magic? Are you good?
0: Um, I thought it was interesting. John Henson scored 15 points in the first (laughs) half, scored zero points in the second half. Um, He and Kylo Quinn had sort of like dueling banjos good nights, both of them, statistically. Um, I thought you know, Henson had three blocks, 12 boards, plus six in 31 minutes. I it felt like he had even more blocks than that. Um, Quinn had four blocks, five assists, 16 boards, 15 points in 30 minutes, but a minus 12. I mean, again, he, he kind of reminded people why uh, he's been sort of one of those under-the-radar kind of You know, analytic community uh, favorites um, over the years. Um, But again, it was uh, a solid night from from Henson and Zeller also gave them good minutes. Um, You know, eight points, four out of four shooting, five boards, two assists, a block. Um, You know, he just he just makes he just point guards just must love playing with him. I mean, it just seems like. Jennings got him loose for a couple butt butt baskets around the around the rim in the fourth quarter Um, Bledsoe has shown good a good rapport with him Bledsoe also showed a nice rapport with Henson getting him a bunch of those uh, 15 points just with like driving and then dumping it off to Henson for layups and dunks Um, but you know again Zeller just has shown really good chemistry with seemingly everybody and um, again it's like if you could just transplant that brain into like Thon Maker um, that would probably be a really positive, positive thing. Um, Quick spoiler maybe, alert:
1: You should go to ESPNWisconsin.com today when this drops because maybe I've written something about Tyler Zeller and that ability.
0: Just yeah. maybe. Although it was probably you'd probably also need a hand transplant um, to to really <laughs> probably <laughs> probably Tyler Zeller's hands would help Thon uh, yeah. way more than. Uh, Did you see that rebound before. Thon grabbed? Oh, that was that was a man-sized rebound. That Incredible man-sized rebound! That was the best rebound of Thon's life. I mean, um, after sure. it,
1: he. Stood on the baseline and, and got blocked. But the
0: rebound. The rebound was impressive. It was pretty cool. Sure. It was yeah. pretty cool. All right. I'm done with that. By the way, I'm shout out to Michael Beasley, who's like too chill to have revenge games. Um, <laughs> like I feel like everybody has uh has has been concerned, you know, that when the Bucks have played the Knicks that Beasley would like come out and torch the Bucs, you know, as some sort of vengeance thing. But but Mike's too chill for that. Like he Beasley, really is. he's fine. He hasn't been particularly good against the Bucks. Thirteen point six boards, but took fourteen shots. Um, Again, not to disparage Beasley. I mean, he's shooting fifty-one percent from the field, forty percent from three this year. Um, You know, does has done Beasley things, and um, I I, I, I've heard it thrown out, and it's actually a very I I think I I I actually probably subscribe to this, but like if you could sign like Michael Beasley to be, uh, you know, like your your backup, you know, three four guy. You're, you're kind of like, you know, get buckets, bench guy
1: mm-hmm.
0: for a couple million bucks. Like in the grand scheme of the NBA and roster construction, isn't that far more appealing at this point than giving Jabari Parker 18 to 20 million dollars a year? Like, like, are we like, Oof. what, what are we expecting Jabari Parker? We'll, we'll talk about this more. You know, we'll bludgeon ourselves to death with this over the next couple months. But <laughs> I, I've kind of come around to this, to this th- thesis. I'm not willing to say I'd rather pay Shabazz Muhammad a <laughs> minimum level contract <laughs> to be Jabari Light, um, but I think Beasley could certainly be. Uh, Jabari light or even potentially Jabari heavy because um, I don't think Beasley's Nearly as bad defensively as uh, as Jabari. So anyway, that's sort uh, of one of those okay. that's sort of one of these fundamental questions as you think about like what is Jabari worth like how much how much better? Is Jabari really gonna be on this team with these other pieces than than Michael Beasley, you know And given what you have to pay him. So anyway, okay, just a thought interesting
1: all right um bucks are currently in the seventh spot in the eastern conference uh that is due to tiebreakers they are tied with the miami heat from a record standpoint but lose the tiebreaker uh to the heat and get to the seventh spot they are game up on the wizards they also do not have the tiebreaker with the wizards um so tying with the wizards would drop them down to the eighth spot as well so um just kind of looking through some things um i I'm trying to figure out where to go here, sorry. Um we'll go to our friend Jacob Goldstein first, uh in his playoff projections and and kind of exactly where those are. Uh as of now, we're recording Sunday night here at 545. Um the Bucks have a forty-eight point seven percent chance to get the seventh seed, a thirty-two and a half percent chance to get the sixth seed, and an eighteen point eight percent chance to get the eighth seed. So statistically they have jumped over the top of the wizards um but again obviously two games to play for all three of those teams um and just kind of trying to conceptualize this a little bit uh, the bucks have orlando and philly philly will be in an interesting spot because they might be in a place where they can pick their opponent um with with the cavaliers around them it, it obviously all depends what all of these teams do who wins etc cetera, etc cetera. but um looking there they may have a chance to pick their opponent in that last game and they might want to tank and lose it or maybe they want to go full out and win it um i'm not really sure what to make of it do you feel like the seventh spot is uh, i know statistically it's the most likely um the bucks at times uh, don't adhere so well to statistics because you know, never trust the bucks. Um, where, where are you feeling the the bucks land here, Frank?
0: Well, I mean, I, I'd say one and one feels like the most likely outcome. Um, I mean, really the, the probably the most pivotal game here is going to be, um, you know, for, as far as other teams go, is probably Tuesday. Uh, Wizards, uh, host the Celtics and obviously the Celtics, that's not going to be a full strength Celtics team with Kyrie out for, for months. Um, But again, like the Wizards have just conjured up losses from, you know, winnable games so much of late um, that I don't know, you know, that you can take anything for granted with them. They also have the magic the following night at home uh, on the road. Um, So again, like, do you trust the Wizards to win two games? Not really. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, again, I, I think my guess most likely outcome is you look at the Wizards, man, maybe the Celtics beat them on Tuesday and then they beat the with the magic on Tuesday um the Bucks again like obviously you have to beat the magic right that's that's a no-brainer that's that's a starting point um and then uh you know Philly will be in that weird spot we know Joel Embiid will not be playing so again you'd think the team would be very beatable but they've been just a buzz <laughs> south late Ben Simmons has been great Saric, Redick all these guys have been playing at a really high level that building has been tremendous um what are they at? Like 12 games in a row. And they've won now, something like that. 13. Um, so again, I'm sure they're going to want to finish, finish the season strong. And even if they rest some guys, um, maybe you don't have to play Reddick, you know, for instance. Um, but they're a deep team, right? I mean, they've got Bellinelli and Elie. So they've added since the all-star break, um, they've got a lot of weapons. And uh, again, I I wouldn't trust the bucks to win that game. But um, you know, again, I think the bucks are going to probably have motivation to win um, in order to make sure that they don't drop into the eighth spot. So I could see all three of the heat wizards and bucks going kind of one and one to end the year. The, the, the heat have that game against the thunder. And then they're probably going to be playing a, a Raptors team. That's going to be resting guys uh, to finish a season. So um, we're all thunder and Celtics fans for the next couple of days, I would say. Okay. Because, you know, again, like I think from a winning a first round series perspective. Yeah. I mean, the Celtics are the, clearly the, the team you'd want to play um, for the bucks, but I don't I don't think you can get too cute with this either <laughs> um and again especially when you don't have tiebreakers um you know if you win both games yeah you're gonna have a chance at getting the sixth seed but I think it's pretty unlikely um you know given again like if uh, if if you know you're gonna have to win it outright so um so yeah I hope they try to win both games and um you know again I would uh, the seventh seed would be great but um, you know, the sixth seed you need to guarantee that you're going to be able to keep your pick as well. So um, I'm sure the Bucks front office, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of an interesting question, like if you're the Bucks front office, like, th- presumably you want to keep that pick. Um, you could, in theory, tie a, a team for sixth and seventh get the seventh because you don't have the tiebreaker and play the Celtics. But then also because, you know, as we mentioned last week, the lottery odd, the lottery positioning is dependent on, on basically coin flips. Um, you could potentially win a coin flip and still keep your pick, even if you are the seventh seed. I mean, that's the, the best
1: outcome, right? Like,
0: that's probably the best outcome. I don't think you, and, you can know, again, you can't like,
1: plan for that because it's a 50-50 right. chance, but that would be the best outcome
0: that's probably your best outcome. And again, like I know there are arguments for giving up the pick this year and just getting it over with and kind of ripping the bandaid. I would tend to say, you know, especially cause that's, you know, again, the, the highest pick sort of, you know, that you could keep, uh, if that makes sense. Um, like you, you obviously hope to be a lot better the next couple of years and there's always a chance you're not. Um, so there's risk in deferring that down the road. But, um, again, like I think you want more assets, to use um as you move forward especially you know with that sort of can we get Giannis to sign on the dotted line in 2020 when he's eligible for that extension so um so yeah it's it's there's no sort of ins and outs to it um i certainly am not expecting the bucks to get sixth i'm almost surprised to even see the probabilities that they're going to finish eighth be so low because it just seems like the bucks like the the most bucks thing <laughs> the most bucks thing would be go into that Philly game and Philly has nothing to play for. Cause like maybe they've locked up the three seed or something, which maybe they won't uh, have done that. But, um, the most bucks thing would obviously be to have motivation to win in Philly to avoid the eight seed and Philly plays their scrubs and like they still be beat you. <laughs> that would be like yep. the most like yes, nihilist bucks thing to happen. Um, and again, at this point, like I, I can't rule anything out, but, um, obviously, uh, we won't, we won't have to wait long to figure it out.
1: All right, uh, Bucks play the Magic here on Monday night. Uh, you may remember the Magic from beating the Bucks the last time these two teams met. Uh, one of the one of the not proud moments of this season uh, for this Bucks, uh, maybe one of the peak don't trust the Bucks moments. Um, I'm trying to think if there's. I guess that Mavericks one wasn't wasn't particularly good either. <laughs> um, there, there's enough that I could go a little
0: bit further, but any, I won't. Any- bulls home games yeah uh, that we're, we're good <laughs> by the pistons on the road yeah
1: sure um there, there are plenty how there. much time do you have
0: how much time do you have Eric
1: <laughs> <laughs> not I don't you know what we've gone long enough we don't need to go uh all that much further there so uh the Bucks lost to the Orlando Magic 126-117 on March 14th uh that was obviously the Jonathan Simmons career game and the Bucks just generally not taking the magic serious enough and uh the magic taking it to him i don't know if there's not really much of another way to explain it the magic were on a ske- that was that a schedule alert game or was that oh the clippers were a schedule yeah clippers were a schedule alert game orlando was just coming off a back-to-back where they had lost by 35 the night before not a schedule alert. just just you know just the basic stuff there um all right i i don't really know anything else to say other than and again people yell at me when they i when i say this but i don't care the orlando magic are a bad basketball team that the milwaukee bucks should beat i will keep saying that until the milwaukee bucks start beating the bad teams that they should beat so that's my message anything else you want to add with the orlando magic
0: no i just they're playing the raptors on sunday so uh, it will be a back-to-back um and as far as injury goes aaron gordon has returned to the lineup for them he's playing on sunday um uh, but on the flip side, Jonathan Simmons is not playing on Sunday due to a right wrist contusion. He's out. Uh, and Terrence Ross, interestingly, I-, I thought he was out for the whole season. He was probably this is probable for the Toronto game. He's actually playing, which seems crazy that they actually yes. brought uh, Terrence Ross back. From Showcase injury. A, time, baby. <laughs> he had a sprained MCL and a non-displaced fracture of his right tibial plateau. Is that the kind of thing you need to be rushing back? I don't know if they rushed it, but is that, you know, do you need Terrence Ross to come off the bench in the last week of the season Probably not. Um, in order to to do that? That, that just doesn't seem like it needs to happen. But um, the, the, the Orlando magic, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, so yeah, uh, let's hope that uh, DJ Augustine uh, does not destroy the Bucks once again. Um, so Eric Bledsoe, you've been playing well lately. How about you outplay DJ Augustine? That that's my request. Hey, for
1: yeah. Yeah. That sounds okay. Um just a quick just quick note for the bucks that are listening to this podcast. DJ Augustine <laughs> is very good off the dribble from 3. So maybe don't go under pick and rolls. Uh, just a just a suggestion and again, thanks for listening. Happy to have you. Um but, but don't don't do that.
0: By the way, is is Tony Snell the king of the Bucks mistakenly going under screens. I feel like he did it again, like a yeah. few times in that Knicks game.
1: He's pretty good um, at it.
0: I don't know. I feel like he goes under screens when he shouldn't too much. So I guess hopefully uh, Tony Snell does not go under screens. I feel like he did that against Jonathan Simmons probably a time or two yep. as well in that last game. So um, yeah, Tony Snell, duh, go go defend somebody that is not DJ Augustine because it it feels like that's not a good idea.
1: <laughs> All right, that's gonna be it for us. Frank is back. Happy to have Frank back. Bucks magic coming up tonight. Bucks were able to get a win over the weekend on Saturday night against the New York Knicks 115 102. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you after the game.